Yo, 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 it's your boy here, Dustin Riccio, D. Rich, on the Army of Crime podcast. I'm here with Maddie Big Time. Maddie, how would do, player? Um, I have no comment on that opening. How's it going, man? What are you up to? Pretty good, pretty good. I just started playing Final Fantasy 1 for the first oh, time. It's really hard. That's really exciting. I'm it, glad it is, I, yeah. I'm, ha- I'm happy for you. Yeah. Um, did you happen to watch uh, any movies lately? Uh, I watched the movie Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, a couple days ago. I also watched the movie Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. And I also uh, recently reread a collection of Crazy Cat comics called Crazy and Ignatz, 1916 to 1918. I also did that by sheer coincidence. Perhaps we should record an episode on it. Yes. Would you like to discuss these two things? I believe that we will. Follow me into my office. So Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, is the sequel to the film Hellboy, which is a, which films are written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, and they are, of course, adaptations of the Mike Mignola comic book series, long-running comic book series, Hellboy. Um, Matt, you and I are both big fans of the Hellboy comics, so setting aside how close of an adaptation it is, which we can get into. What did you think of Hellboy 2, The Golden Army? I thought it was a reasonably well-made movie. I think the actors do a good job with their characters. You've got Ron Perlman as Hellboy. You've got Doug Jones, I believe, as Abe Sapien. And you have Samuel Blair as Liz Sherman. I think they all do a good job. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, um, bumbling bureaucrat character, even got a couple of laughs out of me. So I think it's it's a reasonably well-made movie. I thought it was fun. Um, good performances. I think the strength of the movie, and I feel like probably a lot of people would agree with me on this, the strength of the movie is the production design. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, basically, almost like every scene, it seems like they're introducing you to some new, like, wild, like, monster creature design or some kind of crazy set or something that is just, like, uh, really wildly imaginative. It's kind of like... You know, every time the scene changes, you're there's some kind of new thing that you get to marvel at, which is it's it's really uh, impressive. And a lot of it, um, to my recollection, is original to this film. I think they're not just like recreating things from the comics. I believe basically everything in the story and like the villains and stuff are all created for this film. Yeah, it is reminiscent of some of the high fantasy aspects of the later Hellboy stories. For example, the warthog guy with the iron hand kind of reminded me of the goblin with the iron shoes, for yeah, example. I thought about that too. Yeah, so it, it is kind of reminiscent of some of the later Hellboy stories where they get into the fairy world and the vampires and everything. But yeah, for the most part, it's pretty original. It is an interesting look. You've got like a high fantasy meets steampunk interacting with the federal agent sci-fi law enforcement of the BPRD. So it's actually a very interesting look for the movie. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro is super into the steampunk, like clockwork kind of stuff. And he's also really into 
Universal monster movies. So, of course, there's a couple of references to Universal monster movies, which honestly I find to be a little much. And then they're not Universal monster movies, but the obvious references to such. He also seems to be into, for some reason, like bad guys doing like twirling kung fu moves, which I could kind of take or leave. But um, I, overall, I would agree with you that the best part about this movie is the production design and the costumes and the effects, which are all really imaginative and well done. Like there's a giant like forest god like creature, which is really cool looking. It's like the size of a building that Hellboy has to fight. Yeah. And I do like the design on the elves. They kind of remind me of Michael Moorcock's Elric character with the albino skin and the long hair. So I like the elves. I have no problem with them. Like I said, I like the Warnhog guy with the iron hand. Um, I even like the, the throne room for the king of the elves. Has looks like it's in an abandoned factory or something. So it's that interesting mixture of high fantasy and steampunk. Yeah, you know, the problem with the villain, though, is that he's... Once you get over the design, he's just really not that interesting of a guy. He's like a very generic, like, I must take over the world style of supervillain. Yeah, which maybe leads us into the weak part of this movie, which is probably the story. They have to collect the magic doodads to stop the evil thing from arising. Yeah, the yeah the story involves several these, like, MacGuffins that they have to get and the story about like elves and yeah, I overall did not really find myself getting very invested in the story. And like Abe Sapien has a romance with this woman that he like meets and falls in love with in like one day, which not that this movie is the only movie that does that obviously, because that's a very standard like Hollywood trope, but like I didn't buy that at all. And yeah, overall I feel like the story just was not that engaging. And like you said, it's not really the, actor's faults in any way i just think that the film is so concerned with rolling out its own mythology and giving you reasons to look at cool things that it never really finds any kind of emotional investment which i would also say is maybe something that's common to some other guillermo del toro films who i know has a pretty big fan base in general but i find a lot of his films to be or at least several of his films i have found to be sort of like really nice looking and really creative in like the production design and the effects. And then the story is just kind of like really blah. Yeah. And it's interesting compared to the first one, it really doesn't go all that much into the Hellboy mythology or like the background of the character of Hellboy. You could almost transplant most of the storyline of this movie into some other movie. Yeah. I mean, they get into it a little bit at the end, but it is, I guess, yeah, kind of like a, just a generic, like, fantasy chase MacGuffin kind of thing. Yeah, and like I said, um, I didn't mention the troll market. The troll market is amazing, and I can yeah. see why that's in the movie, but it's like the troll market, What we go there, we, we see the troll market. There's a lot of cool fantasy characters. What ultimately comes of it, I mean... Yeah, I guess it's so they can meet that the, the princess character, but yeah, it's just like it's something that looks cool, but that's really about where it ends. And we didn't mention Johan. The production design on Johan is great. And he's got like this obnoxious German accent and he like deflates and reinflates. So again, it's a good character. It's like all the characters are good. The production design is good. There just isn't a whole lot to hang it onto. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the, the actual uh, story is pretty generic and there, I did not feel any kind of emotional hook 
to really care about. I mean, it's not like it's a terrible film. It was moderately entertaining and mainly, you know, for the to marvel at the creativity and the visuals. But other than that, it didn't really hook me much. Do you want to have a complaint session about the changes from the comic books? I try not to go too much into that because things have to be changed, any kind of adapting process. But romance between Hellboy and Liz Sherman feels weird. It feels really weird to me. And also, I feel like they like the, the first time you see Liz in this movie, she's literally being like a nagging girlfriend. And then throughout most of the film, she like really doesn't do much. She's just like the girlfriend character, I feel like. And I found that to be really disappointing because Liz is like a really interesting character in her own right. And for whatever reason, they basically like turned her into Hellboy's girlfriend who her purpose in the story is like to teach him life lessons. It seems like it really does a disservice to both characters to sort of simplify them down to a standard, you know, Hollywood movie male-female interaction. Right, because he's like the immature hothead and she's like the nagging girlfriend who has to like teach him what matters in life. Yeah. And, you know, the hell I should say the characterization of Hellboy feels somewhat, it feels like pretty close to the comic book, though they definitely lean into like, he acts, even though he's like 60 or 70 years old, he acts like a teenager. Whereas in the, which is not like completely out of character from the comic book, but he's, there's definitely more of like a, a gravitas to the character in the uh, comics, especially once he becomes more aware of like his horrible destiny. You know, in the comics, all the characters are basically like struggling through catatonic states of depression. And they, for obvious reasons, didn't really go that route in the film. Yeah, in the movie, I feel like a lot of characters are reduced to sort of standard movie tropes. Yeah. You've got Hellboy, the cool guy, and then you have his friend who's like a nerd who like knows how to do technology things or knows how to figure stuff out. And then, yeah, Johan is the by the book guy who who um, needles them about following regulations. And then, as you mentioned, Liz Sherman's kind of the girlfriend character, which, which does seem like a, a simplification of all these characters down to a very standard movie convention, like action movie a convention role. So I think overall we would say it's kind of a weird adaptation. It's got a lot of good characters the actors all do a good job with what they're supposed to do it's got good production design it has a lot of good technical aspects not a lot beating at the heart of it perhaps yeah it definitely looks great and beyond that is really there's not much going on and as an adaptation it's you know if you care about that as a hellboy comics fan as an adaptation it's pretty wonky i would say recommend it if you are into that um, del Toro high fantasy yeah, and labyrinth I, kind of thing I mean yeah Guillermo del Toro has a lot of fans who are like super into his kind of thing so if that's like if you're a Guillermo del Toro fan you've probably already seen this movie several times but that's kind of I feel like who this is for so Matt yes Dustin Speaking of another timeless comic book character who has been adapted into film several times, 
How about that crazy cat? So I'd never read Crazy Cat. We should maybe uh, preface found... this by saying that Crazy Cat is a comic strip that ran from 1916 to, I want to say, sometime in the mid-1940s, early 1940s, that ran in both um, Sundays and dailies. And the first half of its run, it was in black and white. And after that, it was in color. And then we read... And I had read this before. I've read uh, many years of Crazy Cat Sundays, but you had not read this before. And this is a volume that the strip is actually called Crazy Cat, but the collected volume is called Crazy and Ignatz, 1916-1918. So this is the first, like, three years of Sundays. And Crazy Cat is basically about, it's like a funny animal strip where you have a cat named Crazy, and then there's a mouse named Ignatz, and there's a a cop named Officer Pup, and Crazy is in love with Ignatz, and Ignatz does not like Crazy for the most part, and always is trying to torment him, and then Officer Pup is kind of like trying to keep the peace between them. So anyway, Matt, uh, as you were saying about uh, about this book. About Crazy Cat, yeah. So I've never read this before, and it's interesting. I enjoyed it. It's so it's it's charming. It's whimsical. Um, the author George Harriman Harriman is known for his dialect. So there's like this interesting made up kind of dialect. The whole thing takes place in a quasi fantasy American Southwest yeah, area, and they have this interesting dialect. And a lot of the characters even have their own dialect, and they're like little slang words. It takes place in. The setting is inspired by uh, Coco Nino uh, National Forest in Arizona, which I have been to, in which George Harriman apparently had a vacation home. Is there umbrella trees there in real life? I don't believe so, but I did not, uh, you know, check everywhere. I did see a, I think there was like a crazy cat uh, named or like a crazy like uh, trailer park there was maybe named after the strip. I think that's about all the recognition it got for being the setting, unfortunately. So were you... Um, now, I'll say that I love Crazy Cat, and I find it to be kind of, like, endlessly charming. Um, and I have not read, like, the entire run, but I've read several years of Sundays and several years of dailies. And I, um, you know, was rereading this to talk about this, and I was... Uh, just so uh, pleasantly charmed by base. almost like every single strip was delightful to me. I feel like it hits um, the dynamic of it. It, it uh, it's you said whimsical, which it definitely is. And there's uh, even though there's like this like violence because Ignatz always throws bricks at Crazy Cat. That's kind of like his signature thing, and Crazy interprets this as a sign of affection and. So it never seems to be seriously harmed by it. He's indestructible or something. <laughs> I yeah, guess. It, I, I don't know. It doesn't obey the rules of, uh, yes, physical reality with the talking animals that wear clothes. Yeah. Does that bother you that uh, Crazy is not immediately killed by getting hit with a brick? No. So I, there's a kind of, I felt like digesting this as a modern person. I'm like, it, there's a violence aspect and Crazy is in love with Ignatz. And Ignatz keeps hitting him with bricks in the head. And I'm like, right. Should I, am I supposed to feel bad for crazy? Because I, I, I do feel bad for him. But on the other hand, why is he still in love with Ignatz, his little 
Dolink. Little Dolink. Yeah. Little Angel. But it, but Crazy enjoys getting hit in the head with bricks. Right. He considers it a sign of affection and it makes him happy. And it doesn't seem to hurt. So, yeah, overall, it, like the strips will basically uh, will often end on a happy note as Crazy gets pelted in the head with something. It's also interesting because as you read Crazy, the character of Crazy changes gender frequently. Like sometimes Crazy will be a he and sometimes Crazy will be a she which I find really interesting. Yeah, there's a strip where there's a beauty parlor, and it specifically talks about how all women like to go to beauty parlors, right? And then Crazy goes by, and Crazy goes into the beauty parlor. In that exact strip, Ignatz refers to Crazy as a he, using a masculine pronoun, but then Crazy goes into the beauty parlor, and no one remarks that it's unusual that a man is going into the beauty parlor. And then Crazy comes out, the text says that Crazy is now blonde, although the art just makes him look like he's been bleached white. And then Ignatz all of a sudden is attracted to him, not realizing that it's Crazy. Yeah, and a lot of people have written about those kind of strips because um, George Harriman was a black man who like, basically passed as white for his in, during his life. And... So people have kind of written about that those kind of like color changes as as maybe some kind of like subtext on race being that like crazy, you know, to him becomes more attractive or maybe more pleasing to the public eye when he's like white instead of black. So, it, you know, there is even though it is like a funny animal strip and I guess a person could be accused of reading too much into it, but there does seem to be some kind of subtle play that you find um, uh, in regards to like racial and like gender uh, issues, which I enjoy. So did you, I, I guess I'm trying to, uh, cause I said, I love Crazy Cat. I find both the art and the writing to be uh, pretty wonderful. Did you um, have trouble getting through this book or like, what was your, you sound like you were kind of mixed on this, on this strip. I wouldn't say I was mixed. So the art, if you want to talk about the art, the art is, tremendous um it's he does a lot of amazing technical things so there's strips that are whole slanted sideways like rolling down a hill and the panel is literally like a slant going down a hill um and he does jokes with like the horizon line like whether it's a line or not and there's things with like perspective um and passage of time so there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the art the whole background is like this fantasy desert landscape with the literal umbrella trees um, and he has like the shooting stars come down and then they, they pick them up and their babies and the stork delivers them. And there's like en the enchanted Mesa. So there's a lot of really amazing things happening in the art. I don't think anyone would disagree with me there. Crazy has a fairly large following. Yeah. So the art is great. Um, he does a lot of interesting things with just the structure of a strip, like the idea that you have this one page to tell a complete story, beginning, middle and end. And he shows you a lot of different environments. There's a lot of funny little jokes. Because, like, Crazy goes into the water and there's Crazy Catfish is his yeah. cousin, who is a fish who looks just like him, except in a fish form. And then he goes into the air and there's, like, Crazy Catbird, who yeah. is a, a bird who's also a cat that can fly. Um, Ignat's Mouse has, a, like, a little gang of mice thieves. Yeah, Ignat's Mouse has a wife and, like, nine kids or something, which he'll occasionally recruit in his uh, mischievous schemes. So, no, I like Crazy Cat. I don't know if I quite blown away, maybe not by the early ones as you are, but I, I do like it. I think it's fun. 
um, it leaves you with a lot of little interesting thoughts. Yeah, because of the whole relation between the characters is is so interesting. It's you read it and you're not. I feel like you're not always sure what exactly to take from it. So it kind of makes you think a little bit. At least that's how yeah. I felt. Yeah, I think subtextually there is maybe a little more going on than you would perhaps expect with just like a funny animal uh, joke strip. I was going to say also, I um, you know, I feel like a lot of cartoonists will sometimes get short shrift in conversations about writing and about comics writers because, you know, in mainstream American comics, there's often this really stark division of labor where there are like comics writers and then there are comics artists. And of course, back in the day with strips, a lot of them were, you know, doing both. And obviously you have like people today, of course, who do both a lot as well. But for some reason, the conversation in, uh, about this kind of thing usually seems to devolve into separate categories of people. But anyway, I feel like George Harriman is maybe underrated as a writer because I find the wordplay at hand to often be really clever and really enjoyable. Like you said, he he writes in this like weird kind of like, well, I don't know if it's weird. I feel like, I think it's inspired by something specifically, maybe like a New Orleans kind of slang because I think that's where he's from, as I recall. But he, the, he writes in this sort of really specific like dialect and there's often a lot of like like wordplay and like odd like jokes and stuff that I think is actually like really clever and like really well done. And uh, for whatever reason, I mean, I know the reason is, but I just think that he perhaps doesn't get his due just as like a pure writer of comics as like a wordsmith. Yeah, because we talked about, well, we talked a little bit. We, we looked at the spirit, which was also a strip. Um, and, you know, Crazy Cat and Spirit, although the Crazy predates Eisner uh, by a number of years. But if you look at other, like, comic strips from this time period, I know I've read some of, like, the old Superman strips. And the technical level is, is much lower than what you're seeing with Crazy Cat. And George Harriman, I mean, yeah, working, this starts in the year 1916. Yeah, there's that, a that's joke. That's kind of insane. There's a joke in this book about um, the Kaiser because it overlaps with yeah because they make references to world war one because there's a you're supposed to have a hog a personal hog and ignatz is sad because he doesn't have a pig um and they also talk about collecting potatoes yeah yeah so it really does seem like george harriman should have a higher name recognition because i guess i haven't really seen him mentioned in a lot of things um i mean he was crazy cat doesn't have a lot of recognition i know he was well regarded you know in his lifetime because it mentioned that E.E. E. Cummings, I think, wrote a forward to a very early crazy collection. Yeah, and the strip was apparently not popular, but was kept alive just because I think it was uh, Randolph, uh, William Randolph Hearst was a big fan. So he kept it alive, even though a lot of newspapers wanted to cancel it because they like didn't get it and thought it was too weird. And also, it should be, I feel like I should mention that the uh, Comics Journal listed when they did a list of like the 100 greatest works of comics in history they put crazy cat at number one number so one ahead of everything yeah they put it as like the greatest work of comics in history which so it has got like you know some recognition in specific circles but in terms of like mainstream comics fans you know strips in general are not 
really that talked about and unless it's like Calvin and Hobbes like everyone loves Calvin and Hobbes but beyond that you know strips don't get talked about and that's I guess part of the reason why George Harriman does not get his due both as like a an artist as a penciler and as a writer and as an overall cartoonist I feel like like I, I like I think when it comes to people who are really good at writing comics you know, everyone will go to like, oh, Alan Moore or whatever, which not that Alan Moore doesn't deserve it, but I feel like someone like George Harriman also deserves to be in that conversation, even though obviously his stuff is very different, but just yeah. in terms of like pure, you know, crafting words together. Right, because he has the entire dialogue that the characters speak in, and you're talking about creating this whole little world and then telling uh, entire stories in one page. Yeah, yeah, and it, like the daily strips... You mentioned the uh, creativity and the panel design, which is, I think is, is one of the standouts of why the Sundays are so popular, because he was also doing this as a daily strip. And the daily strips have been much more uh, sporadically collected, whereas the Sundays are all available in collected volumes. And I think the Sundays are generally considered to be, you know, where he would get more, let the creativity run rampant, and that's where you get these, like, wild page designs. But the daily strips are also fun, too, though they're much more, you know, conventional. Yeah, so I enjoyed reading Crazy. I think it's fun. There's there's a lot of little, like you said, there's a lot of little jokes and things going on. There is some subtext there, and I'm not sure how much we want to read into the subtext, especially considering the time it was written. I mean, if this came out now we would probably try and figure out whether crazy was like a non-binary person and well, uh, I know he's... the relation of heteronormativity to Ignatz being attracted to him slash her when crazy is like blonde as opposed to black haired. Yeah. And I know George Harriman had said that crazy was meant to be some kind of like gender fluid, uh, forest sprite sort of like, you know, angelic uh fairy sort of character let me ask you this are you interested enough to read more crazy cat strips and or do you have any final thoughts on this uh on this book yeah no i would want to read more of it i think anyone that's interested in comics as an art form or the history of comics should definitely read it because i feel like it does deserve a spot in there you mentioned comics journal for it as their number one i am not comics journal nor might qualified or feel qualified to say something is the best that there ever was but it's definitely worth reading i think there's a lot going on there both um on a technical art level and in the dialect in the storylines in the little jokes and everything yeah and i should say too just that when you read it you know it's uh since each page is like a strip it's easy you can just like read a couple at a time like it, i don't know how well it works to like try to plow through it in one sitting but I find it uh, really charming to just, uh, you know, plop down and read a half dozen and, and you know, and just be, be charmed like that. Or, you know, because obviously when they came out, they were meant to be read like once a week. So, but yeah. yeah. Uh, How fun would that be to live in a world where you get your newspaper and you have just like crazy cat every week? <laughs> that would be, uh, you mean you don't like getting... Uh, your newspaper and reading Dilbert? I did, use, I did used to get a newspaper, um, and I did read through the comics. I don't remember there being any standouts. I don't even get a newspaper now. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on comic strips. I've read, you know, some old comic strips, like, but not as many as I should. But, and this might just be like a, a, a bias, but I do feel like that comic strips now are generally not very good. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. I think overall, uh, Crazy Cat, it is superb. Superb, tremendous, uh, charming, whimsical. All of this and more. Crazy just can't catch a break. No, but he's delighted by the small things in life, which right. seems to keep him on a pretty even keel. Right. So we'll uh, leave it there with, uh, that was Crazy and Ignatz, 1916-1918, a book that collected the first three years of the Sundays of that strip. So, Matt, do you have a uh, recommendation to go with our uh, conversation from this week? For my recommendation this episode, I'm going to put forward a Hellboy story called Hellboy the Crooked Man, which was a three-issue miniseries featuring some absolutely stellar and tremendous art by Richard Corbin and written by Hellboy creator Mike Mignola. The story sort of delves into the folklore and horror stories of Appalachia, or the eastern seaboard of the United States area, and is kind of based on the John the Balladeer pulp stories written by Manly Wade Wellman. It comes in a collection called Hellboy the Crooked Man and Other Stories. So that would be my Hellboy-themed recommendation for this episode. For my recommendation, I'm going to go with another comic strip. And you know, Matt, you said that some of the comic strips and some of the comics work that were contemporaneous to Crazy Cat were maybe not all that stellar from a technical standpoint and from an art standpoint. And I think that's uh, maybe not all that true when it comes to uh, comic strips. It might be true for something like Superman, and I think it definitely was true for a lot of like mainstream superhero-style comic books, which often looked uh, really crude. But one thing that it was definitely not true for was a comic strip by the title of Flash Gordon by Alex Raymond. And this is obviously a very famous comic strip and went on to become a very famous character. But if you go back to the comic strip, it is a really fun read and it's just beautiful to behold. It's a really influential and really fun and just a completely gorgeous comic strip. So that's Flash Gordon, Alex Raymond. As always, you can find us on the web at armyofcrime.com. I am on Twitter at armyofcrime. Dustin is on Twitter at Dustin44444. Check out the website if you want to look at any of the things we recommended. We try and post links so you can find all of the stuff. As always, if you want to leave us a review, we would definitely appreciate that. I see we have a couple listeners from international areas. I said saw a download in Germany, a couple downloads in Nepal. If you're one of those people, feel free to leave a review in whatever app that you use. As always, keep those bricks flying, everyone. See you next time.
is that your segue into our episode? 